Scary Mysteries, Twisted Twos, Central Park Five, and Randall Woodfield. Tales of Hauntings, Murder, and Scary Mysteries. Every week, Twisted Twos dives into a pair of uniquely terrifying true stories that are worthy of a more in-depth look. For this week, we dive into a wrongful conviction case in New York City and the story of a former pro football player turned serial killer. Get ready for Scary Mysteries, Twisted Twos. Number 1. Central Park 5 On the night of April 19, 1989, 28-year-old investment banker Tricia Maley went out for a run in Central Park in the heart of New York City. Between 9 and 10 p.m., she was knocked over by an assailant, stabbed five times, raped, sodomized, and beaten. When she was discovered in a shallow wooden ravine in the park four hours later, she was barely alive. She was found naked, gagged, and tied up with blood and mud covering her body. After the attack, she was comatose for 12 days, suffered severe brain damage, and hypothermia. Doctors determined she lost 75 to 80% of her blood as a result of the deep stab wounds, and her eyeball was even dislodged from her eye socket because her skull had been badly fractured. Doctors first thought she would be in a permanent coma, or worse, succumb to her injuries, Miraculously, though, she survived and recovered eight months later, but she still suffers lingering disabilities from the attack. On the night in question, police were dispatched to Manhattan Central Park after reports of a group of 30 teenagers were said to be attacking random people in the area. This group entered the park in Harlem and continued south, beating random people, cyclists, and cab drivers. They knocked over a man who was walking, assaulted, and robbed him. They also attacked a school teacher and another jogger whom they knocked unconscious with a metal pipe. The male jogger said he was jumped by five teens. Around that same time, in another area of the park, Trisha was being assaulted. By 10.30 p.m., police arrested Raymond Santana and Kevin Richardson with several other teenagers along Central Park West. Antron McCray, Youssef Salam, and Corey Wise were later brought in for questioning after having been identified as present in the other attacks according to those arrested. All of these suspects were juveniles. Initially, no one admitted to assaulting Trisha, but after days of being held and interrogated at some point, they confessed to taking part in the attack. However, none of them said that they had raped her. They only confessed to being an accomplice, helping to restrain or touch her while implicating that others had raped her. Despite the confessions, the stories each suspect told were inconsistent with one another. More troubling was that the physical evidence, including DNA later on, never pointed to five different suspects but belonged to just one unknown male. There are reports of the location of the crime, the description of the victim, and even the time of when it happened varied as well. Despite inconsistencies, police were convinced they had their offenders and all five were prosecuted and convicted. It didn't help that a week after they issued the original confession and the boys received a formal charge, all of them retracted it. But why would five people confess to a crime when they didn't commit it? Many believe there were factors present that added to the eventual confession. For one, the officers believed they already had their assailants, all they needed was to solidify the supposed guilt and get them to confess. As such, the interrogation likely proceeded with this in mind. Surprisingly, coercive interrogation techniques are considered legal. This includes intimidating the subject, lying to them, falsely claiming there's evidence against them, 
deceiving them or minimizing the crime to make it easy for the potential suspect to admit guilt. However, one controversial technique is intentional sleep deprivation. This might not seem like a big deal, but sleep deprivation makes people susceptible for psychological suggestion. It's no secret, sleep deprivation is used as a form of torture in prisons and war. Subjects become susceptible to hallucinations and delusions, and the person being interrogated becomes so desperate for sleep that they would do anything to get it, including admitting to something they didn't do. When the boys were interrogated, they were held for two whole days and had to put up with the constant questioning and intimidation. Moreover, studies show that people likely to bend to this form of torture are those that are mentally challenged and adolescents who don't fully understand their rights. One of the five, Yusuf Salam, said that I would hear them beating up Corey Wise in the next room and they would come and look at me and say, you realize you're next. The fear made me feel really like I was not going to be able to make it out. In the case of the Central Park Five, none of the interrogations were videotaped, only their confessions. All the boys then were tried and sent to jail. It wasn't until 2002 when a serial rapist and killer named Mattias Reyes confessed to the Central Park attack on Trisha. He admitted he was 17 years old in 1989 and he lived in a van and worked at an East Harlem bodega. His DNA was obtained and matched with the semen found in and on the victim. Reyes also provided information, including details of the attack as corroborated by evidence. The victim was found with a t-shirt tied in a distinct fashion, and Reyes' other victims were also found with the same knot. Prior to the Central Park rape, he had assaulted other women, including his own mother. He also broke into several apartments and assaulted and raped women, stabbing them in the eyes so they couldn't identify him. Despite his admission to the Central Park crime, the statute of limitations had passed, and so there was no further risk to him, especially since he was already serving life in prison. This did, however, change the fate of the Central Park Five. On December 19, 2002, Justice Charles J. Tejada from the New York Supreme Court vacated the charges against the Five. By then, all had served their sentences, somewhere between 6 and 13 years save for one, because he was in prison for a different crime. The names of the Five were taken out of the sex offender registry and all charges against them were cleared. In 2003, three out of the five sued the city for damages and they won the settlement, receiving $41 million. Even though they were cleared, there are still those who believe they were involved in the crime. The city of New York never publicly admitted to any wrongdoing and many, including President Trump and Police Commissioner Ray Kelly, still believe they were guilty. Number two, Randall Woodfield. Hailed as a talented athlete from Portland, Oregon, Randall Woodfield had everything going for him. He was a top athlete and considered a great wide receiver in high school and later college, but there was one problem. He had a habit of getting arrested for exposing himself to women. During high school, his football coaches kept the story of his arrest hidden so he wouldn't get kicked off the team. By the time he played for the Portland State Vikings, he was hailed as a great player. He was known for being active in the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, as well as the Campus Crusade for Christ. However, his behavior was anything but exemplary. During this time, he was arrested twice for indecent exposure and convicted twice. Even with his arrest, he was still drafted by the NFL's Green Bay Packers in 1974. 
But after the first training camp, he was cut from the team when they received reports of a dozen or so flashing incidents. He still played semi-pro ball for one season on a Wisconsin team before he was cut again. While in Wisconsin, Woodfield was arrested for more than 10 acts of indecent exposure. After suffering a failed professional career, he then moved back to Oregon. In 1975, police began receiving reports of a sexual predator accosting women. The perpetrator would hold a knife to the women's throats and force them to perform oral sex before their handbags were stolen. Police posed female officers to do a sting operation, and it was on March 5, 1975, when they caught a man attempting to attack a female officer in the park with a knife. It was Randall Woodfield. He served four years in prison for this crime and released back into the public in 1979. From here on out, Woodfield wouldn't just settle for sexual assault. He would graduate to murder. His first victim was Sherry Ayers, an x-ray technician and former classmate, someone he had known since second grade. On October 9, 1980, she was raped and stabbed inside her own apartment. Her body was found days later, stabbed repeatedly and bludgeoned to death. Woodfield was questioned by police, but his blood type didn't match the one obtained on the victim. The second killing happened a month later. This time, he killed an acquaintance from college, Darcy Fix, along with another person. The two of them were found shot to death execution style inside Fix's home. Woodfield was also questioned for this, but police had no evidence tying him to the crime. Starting in 1980, he also committed a series of burglaries and assaults around the I-5 corridor. He robbed establishments, forced sexual assault on several women, including two young girls between the ages of 8 and 10. Woodfield continued on in his crime, cycling between robberies, rape, and murder. On March 5, 1989, he was brought in for questioning. Weeks before, the investigation started focusing on Woodfield as they determined he had placed calls on payphones close to the murder and robbery site. A warrant was issued for his home where police found masks, a roll of tape matching those found on some of the victims, and a 32 caliber shell casing. He was also positively identified by robbery victims that had survived. Indictments were thrown against him for rape, murder, sodomy, illegal possession of firearms, armed robbery, and attempted kidnapping from other states as well, like Washington. In the end, Randall Woodfield was found guilty of murder and sentenced to life in prison. Even though he was tied to multiple assaults and murders, he was only convicted of two. However, police believe there are still victims yet to be linked to him. As of now, cops can positively link him to 13 homicides, but it's possible his number of victims could be as high as 50. So there were two of the strangest and murderous stories around. The world can be a crazy place and Twisted Twos is sure to show you why. If you enjoyed this video, then please remember to subscribe to our channel. We have new Scary Mysteries videos coming out every single week that we know you'll enjoy. Thanks for watching, and I'll see you soon.